At Life Street Community Church, we believe that we are the church. It's not a building, a program, or a tradition. A church is people. You and I are the church, and we have influence. We have responsibility, and we have the honor and privilege of being called God's church. Each of us is part of that church, and that includes you. Good morning. I'm really glad that you're here with us this morning. This is, as Pastor Dan said, one of my very favorite Sundays in the church calendar. I love Palm Sunday. But I'm also excited that this is the conclusion of our It's Not Mine series that we've been doing here at the church. And I have really, really good news for you. I'm not going to talk about money today. Everybody say, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What we've learned in the last few weeks about our finances and what God wants to do in and through our finances is just amazing stuff. And so if you didn't hear that, I'd really encourage you to listen to the podcast. You can find that on our website. Um, I love the idea of tithing, and I love what we learned about what happens when we give. And we're so funny, we're so cute. As one of my friends, a guy I've read his books and heard him preach, but I call him my friend because I feel like I know him. But he tells us that we're so cute about our giving and our finances because we have a hard time sometimes with giving God 10%. And say, oh, that's, you know, that, that's kind of a, an Old Testament thing. But really what Jesus wants is our actual whole lives. He doesn't just want 10% of our money. He wants all of us, all that we have, all that we are. And so this morning the title of my message is Jesus Needs It. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. In, your, um, in the Bibles and the Pews, it's page 751. We're going to take a look at that this morning. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. This morning, beginning in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 21, it says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead and said, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, The Lord needs it, or say, Jesus needs it. Would you say that with me? Jesus needs it. Jesus needs it. And he will immediately let you take them. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill the prophecy. And this prophecy is out of the book of Zephaniah that said, Tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Verse 6, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, which is why hopefully you all got a palm this morning. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David, or in the Greek the word there is Hosanna. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered, They're looking at each other saying, who is this? And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Can we pray together this morning? Jesus, I'm so thankful that there's such a thing as Palm Sunday. I'm so thankful that you came into town all those years ago. I'm thankful that you are our Savior. You're also our Lord and And can be our very best friend. And I'm thankful this morning, Jesus, that as we look into your word, you're so kind and you're so giving and you're so loving that, yes, you're the God of the whole universe, and yet you're so humble that you want us to be a part of what you're doing on this earth. 
I simply ask this morning, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a minute on the screen, not yet, but in just a second on the screen you're going to see something. I, I try, you know, we often read Bible stories. I don't know if you do this, but I do this. And, and if you've been in church a while, or even if you have any biblical knowledge at all, you know, there are categories on Jeopardy with Bible questions that just educated people know things about the Bible. And sometimes we forget that these things happen to real people who lived real lives at a real time in history, and they didn't have the Bible to read, so they didn't know the end of the story. So I was thinking, like, how in the world could we ever imagine what this was really like? And, I, you know, I looked at some of the videos and movies that have been made of biblical accounts, but they always make Jesus look kind of weird to me. And so I thought about showing you a video saying, this is what Palm Sunday perhaps looked like. But sometimes they make Jesus just look a little strange. And so I didn't want to show you a strange-looking Jesus this morning. Say thank you. Just kidding. But I realized that our, our family, our little Mowerman family that we are, we have sort of a triumphal entry experience in our life. We've had a kind of something modern day that sort of equates to what happened on this day, this biblical account of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem. You see, my husband is born and raised in Ohio. He's born and raised in Youngstown, Ohio, which is just about an hour from Cleveland. Some of you who know about sports might have an idea where I'm going, but if you don't, the city of Cleveland has um, professional sports teams. They have the Cleveland Browns, which we just won't even talk about the Cleveland Browns, but they have the Cavaliers, and, and the Cleveland Cavaliers are one of my husband's lifelong loves. Long before he loved me, he loved the Cavs. Long before me, he loved me, he actually loved LeBron James, but we won't talk about that either. LeBron James is the star player for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was born and raised in Akron, Ohio, which is very close to Cleveland, not far from where Andre was raised. And... In 2016, in that season, the 15-16 season, LeBron came back to Cleveland. It was a big deal. He was born and raised there, and he had played there for a while, and then he left, and they burned his jerseys in the streets, and they rioted against him almost sort of kind of, yeah, they actually did a little bit because LeBron left them. But then he made this big decision, this big announcement, I'm coming home. There was a, at the announcement, he did the announcement in a stadium, and people came just to hear this man, LeBron, who puts a ball through a hoop, say, I'm coming home, here I come, I'm going to fix it all, I'm going to save the world. And he actually did. That season, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers played the Golden State Warriors with a, a man who, we don't like to say his name in our house, but his name is Steph Curry, and he says he loves Jesus, so all the Christians love Steph Curry, but we just, we don't in our house. We love, we love that he loves Jesus, but anyway. So the Cavs went all the way, seven games. Cavs against the Warriors 2016, the city of Cleveland had gone 52 years without a championship. That's a long time. The Eagles just won recently, so Philly was excited. But Philly had had other championships. The Cavs had never won one. 52 years, these people. My husband's entire life, he's waiting for a champion. And then rides LeBron James, and he comes, and he does what he says he was going to do. He won a championship for their team. If I could go back in time, I would have videoed on my phone, I didn't bring my phone up here, I would have recorded my husband during game seven. He wouldn't probably let me show it to anyone, but I would have done it just to have it in the history of our family. You see, there were points during that game, and I threatened him that I was going to make him come up here and illustrate his posture, 
during the game, but I didn't want to embarrass him this morning. There were points during Game 7, the, the, the whole championship is on the line, 52 years of waiting for a champion for the city of Cleveland. And my husband, holy man of God that he is, and father of three, is on his hands and knees, rocking back and forth, waiting to see if they're going to win the game. When they won, we were screaming. I realized that for the last minute of the game, I, and I, I love the Cavs because he loves the Cavs, but I don't really actually care all that much. I realized I had been holding my breath for about the last 35 seconds of the game because it was back and forth and there were dramatic things that happened at the end. And here's my husband on his hands and knees. And we're screaming and we're crying. And really, it was so exciting. It was so life-changing. It was so revolutionary for my family and the history of sports in the Cleveland area and for my little Mowerman family living in Tennessee at the time. And everybody thought we were weird. Nobody else cared about the Cavs except for us. Changed everything. We woke up the next morning. Literally, this is how weird we are. I'm just admitting it to you freely here in church this morning. We looked at each other and said, did that really happen? For real? Did they really win last night? It can't be true. Because, you know, 52 years of being the loser, and then all of a sudden overnight, and you're the champ, changes things. All of a sudden, <laughs> you can wear that LeBron James jersey in public, and people won't make fun of you anymore. You can say you're a Cavs fan, and it's, you know, it's not even so bad to be a Cleveland Browns football fan anymore, because at least you have a championship in the city. It changed everything. Then a few days later, because this is what we do in America when sports teams put a ball through the hoop one time more than the other team did, there's a parade in the city of Cleveland. I kid you not, had my husband been able to get there that day, he would have driven eight or nine hours to stand in a crowd of people to watch grown men ride by in cars because they were better at putting a ball through a hoop than the other guys. He'll ask him, he'll tell you, could he, if he had been able to get there, he would have gone. But he couldn't. So we, we DVR'd it. We record, I wanted to say we taped it because I'm that old that we used to use VHS tape. But we recorded it on our DVR and we watched all five or six hours of large men riding in convertible cars through the streets with people cheering. Because when you've waited 52 years, you want to see every minute of that parade. I, I have to tell you, and I have permission to tell you this about him, there were moments in that parade where my husband, grown man that he is now, mind you, a few days ago, he's on his hands and he's rocking back and forth over a basketball game. But this same man is shedding tears watching this parade. I look at him and he's like, I don't know why I'm crying. I don't, I don't know. It's just, I never thought we'd see it. And here, here they won. I can't believe it. This is it. The city of Cleveland, 1.3 million people came to watch a group of men who are good at putting a ball through a hoop ride by in cars because they'd won the championship. <laughs> Palm Sunday was just a little bit more exciting than this. The people, the, the Jewish people, the, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, they had waited just a little longer than 52 years, something more like 4,000 years for their Messiah. They had been oppressed. They had been put down. Now, 
Andre would say that he's been persecuted for being a Cleveland fan, but it's not quite the same thing as what the Jewish people had gone through, you see, at that time. It's a little bit more intense, a little bit more real, a little bit more life-changing than just having people make fun of you because you're from Ohio. They'd waited, waited. They had prophecies. Part of the scripture that we read this morning was a prophecy out of the book of Zephaniah that your king is coming and how he's going to come in. And see, all of a sudden, on this day, he's coming into town. It's really hard for us to grasp. I've never waited for 4,000 years for anything, have you? You're supposed to say no, because none of you are 4,000 <laughs> We don't wait that long for things in our life. We get ticked off if our phone takes too long to load up the next app. We get annoyed if we wait more than 10 minutes for, for a seat at a restaurant. These people had been waiting for 4,000 years. And see, they were expecting a Savior who was going to ride in on some a magnificent horse, some, I don't know, black stallion, I have no idea about horses, but something fantastic looking and very, very big. They thought he would come in looking like a warrior. They thought he would come in with a sword and perhaps some kind of armor of the day on. They thought that he was going to come in that day and overthrow the government. They thought he was going to take over and change everything. They thought when he said, I'm going to establish my kingdom, that it meant a kingdom on this earth. They didn't know. And here he comes, this Jesus. Not with a sword, not on some magnificent beast, but on a donkey, which was a symbol of peace to them in that day. As humble as he could possibly be. This morning, that's why we have palm branches in our hands, because that day changed everything. Okay, enough with the calves. We can get rid of them now. I mean, goodness gracious. All they do is put a ball through a hoop. Now, if I were to tell you how many hours of my life I spend watching people put that ball through a hoop, you would say, Carrie, you're full of baloney. But I've spent a lot of my life watching that. That Cavs championship changed our family. A little teeny tiny bit. But when Jesus rides into your life, and you've been waiting for a Savior, He doesn't just change your sports history. He changes everything about your life in an instant. Let's look at three things in the text today. Three things that Jesus needs from us. I love the fact that it even says in Scripture that the Lord needs something. Because we know, don't we, this morning, that does God need anything? He doesn't. God doesn't actually need anything. But Jesus, this this Savior, this warrior that rides in on a donkey instead of a magnificent horse of some kind wearing some kind of armor, looking like he's going to change the world, this Jesus that we serve, this Jesus that we celebrate in this holiest of weeks in our church calendar, he makes a decision to need us. He wants to need us. He wants you and I, with what we have, to partner with what he's doing on this earth. This morning, we're just going to look at three things Jesus needs. First of all, Jesus needs our go. Oh, the title of my message is Jesus Needs It, if I didn't already say that. But Jesus needs our go. I love, I love looking at Scripture. Like I said a minute ago, we're so accustomed to the Bible and the stories, and we're used to what happens, but we forget to break down the fact that these are regular people. Now, just to give you a little bit of context for the story, Jesus has recently raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. Say dead. Dead. Now say dead. Dead. Lazarus was dead, like three or four days in the tomb, dead. 
Jesus goes and Lazarus is alive. And some historians believe that as the disciples are with Jesus, it's not just the 12 disciples, it's the group of people who are following Jesus while he's teaching and going around with him. Historians believe that perhaps Lazarus was in this group of people traveling to Jerusalem that day. And when we look at the text, as we look at, let's see what verse it is. It's verse uh, 2. Go to the village over there, Jesus said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, say the Lord needs them. Say Jesus needs it and will immediately let, let you. So Jesus, they're, in my common everyday vernacular, they're rolling deep right now, okay? They are a big crowd. There are a lot of them. And they have been going with Jesus from place to place to place. They've just watched him raise a man from the dead. Have you ever seen anyone raised from the dead? I have not, personally. I've seen miracles. I've never seen, like, stinky dead in the tomb for a couple of days come back to life. I haven't seen it. They're rolling deep. And they are proud of who they're with. I don't know if you've ever walked into a room with somebody that you kind of thought was important at the time, and you're like, yep, I'm here, and I'm with them. The disciples are rolling into town with Jesus. And as they're walking, as they're coming in, I mean, if I'm you, if I'm one of them, and I've left behind everything, I've left behind my job and my family and things that I should have done and things that society told me I should do, and I've left it all behind to follow this man who's going from town to town. And at first people think he's crazy, but now he's doing miracles. So we're like, hey, he's doing something. They're rolling into town with Jesus. And Jesus stops and looks at a couple of them. We don't know who they were, but he says, Hey, I need you to go over there to a guy you don't know for a donkey that I'm just telling you is there because I'm Jesus and I know stuff. And I need you to get that donkey and bring it back. And if they ask any questions, just say Jesus needs it. I don't know about you, but if I'm the guy that Jesus asked in that moment, I'm a little bit like, no, Jesus, I'm good. I'll stay right here with you. I've been waiting all this time to be with the guy that's doing the cool stuff. You're finally doing the cool stuff, and everybody's starting to notice how cool you are, and that makes me cool too. And I don't want to go off on your little errands. I don't want to go on the Starbucks run. I don't want to go pick up the rental donkey. I want to ride into town with the man who's just done the things. And I want everybody to see me. And I want people to see me next to the guy that was just dead a couple days ago, and now he's alive because before they were making fun of me, before they thought I was crazy, now they know I know something, and I don't want to go. Sometimes Jesus asks us to do something, and it doesn't look like the cool thing to do. It doesn't look like rolling deep into Jerusalem with the guy who just raised people from the dead, and he's the Messiah. Jesus needs our go, but sometimes our go doesn't look very glamorous. When we moved to Robbinsville, this, this weekend is actually one year, the one year anniversary of us coming to visit, and when we came here, I can't explain it to you other than God made me want to work in the city of Robbinsville. My background is in human resources, and um, I've run after-school programs. I did a lot of work at a school, and, and so I thought maybe I'd get a job doing something like that. So I spent the summer, last June, July, looking for jobs, applying for jobs. I interviewed for a job or two. None of them felt right, and none of them were in Robbinsville until one day I looked at the Robbinsville employment opportunity page, and up pops this job. When it was um, to work at the senior center, I didn't really know what all it meant. All I know is, and all I can tell you, is that when I started to apply for that job, I began to weep. I just knew this was a go for me. This is a Jesus needs it moment for me. 
And so when I get the job and I find out that the majority of what I do are these two things. I reheat food and I wash dishes. Now, you're laughing. But some days, I can't paint my nails because my nails get messed up when I wash the dishes. But that's beside the point. My resume says things like executive assistant and human resources manager and after school program coordinator and developer. And the go Jesus asked of me because he put it in my heart to serve a city, looked like go wash some dishes and reheat some food and feed some people. Now listen, I would like to tell you that I am a holy and spiritual and mature woman of God that stands before you. And that every day when I go to do those tasks, I feel like I am in my moment of going for Jesus. But a few weeks ago, someone that I wanted to look important to Someone that if you ask me, like, do you know this person? Do you want to impress them? That person walked in the kitchen as I'm bent over dishes and I'm scrubbing with steel wool on a pot. And I turned around and I was like, oh, hey. I was confronted in that moment with how prideful I really am. I was confronted in that moment that sometimes when Jesus asks us to go to a place, when Jesus needs our go, sometimes it looks like a little bit of humility, like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords riding into town on a donkey. Sometimes our go doesn't match up with our resume. Sometimes our go is the opposite of glamorous or the opposite of sounding like you're doing something important. And yet the reality that we live in because we serve a God who's worthy of anything that we can give to him is that if he needs my go, I'll go. And that day I I got to repent. I texted Andre and said, I'm embarrassed. So-and-so just walked in and I feel like a dork. Because I want people to think that I'm important and I want people to think that I'm a pastor and I'm an educated woman and I know how to do important things that seem important to other people and I want to look special and I want to look like I know what's going on in life and here I am scrubbing dishes and I'm embarrassed. But Jesus reminded me that sometimes the go looks like leaving the big glamorous party of the entry into Jerusalem. It looks like going and picking up the rental donkey, going on the Starbucks run. But if Jesus needs it, Jesus needs your go this morning, whatever it might look like. Sometimes it's glamorous. Sometimes Jesus asking you to go is fancy. I think a lot of the times, though, our go looks like leaving the parade to go get the donkey just because he asked us to, just because he said so. I wonder this morning if you are willing to give Jesus your go, the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. He's not riding in and conquering the town the way we thought he would. He wants us to partner with him and give us. He wants to He wants us to give him our go. The second thing that Jesus needs, as we see in this passage in verses eight through nine, is Jesus needs our worship. Now remember, Jesus doesn't really need anything, but he wants to partner with us through worship. If you're around me much, I am a little bit of a worship fanatic. I kind of love it. It's kind of important to me. It kind of helps me get through my days. But what we see in this passage, and, and really what I watched happen in Cleveland, Ohio, was a worship service. We get to choose what we worship. I watched 1.3 million people worship with, let me tell you, in the middle of June, in a city. I'm sure it didn't smell good. It probably didn't smell good when Jesus was coming in. I mean, he's riding on the donkey. How good do they smell? But I watched 1.3 million people watch men who put a ball through a hoop 
stand for hours and hours and hours just to watch those men ride by in convertible, fancy, very expensive cars. Because those men had done something that changed their city forever. Cleveland is no longer a group of losers. They're champions now. And we have the opportunity to do something like what we saw in this passage, the people in Jerusalem that day, the crowd that was traveling with Jesus. They were so, in that moment, overcome with the reality of who Jesus was, who Jesus is, that they could not help themselves. I, I like to be sort of dignified, or at least I kind of think I am, but I'm not sure if I am or not. But I like to think I'm sort of a put-together kind of person most of the time. Here's the reality. When Jesus walks into the room, all of your pretense, all of your self-importance walks right out. Because really, what worship really is, is an acknowledgement of who he is and who I'm not. He is worthy. He is the only one who can save. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Those people in that moment were so overcome with the reality of what's happening as they're watching the Savior of the whole world ride into their town and they've been waiting their lifetime and the lifetimes and generations and generations before them. They've all been waiting. They've all been wondering when he's going to come. And here he is. And let me tell you something. They could not hold back. It was tradition in that day that if royalty came into town, people would put their cloaks on the ground. The one that had cloaks started taking them off. They took off their coat. They lay it down, almost like a red carpet for Jesus to come into town. And the ones that don't have a coat, they go. And what, what can they find? And they find a palm branch. And they wave it. And I'm sorry that I get emotional about this. But when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the only one who can save you right now comes into your life, when he walks into your situation, you will find yourself, in one way or another, unable to hold back your praise. He's worthy He's worthy and there's no one else like him. And that day, in this, in this biblical account, we see these people and they can't help themselves. They start waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. They're telling the whole world, I know who he is. He's the only one can, that can save me. We've been waiting our whole lives for this moment. And it's finally here and here he is. And I'm not going to let it go by without acknowledging that he's the only one who can do what I've been waiting my whole life for. And if that means pulling off a palm branch, and waving it, because that's all I have. That's what I'm going to do. In college, I can vividly remember. See, when you go to Bible college and you're a girl, one of the goals of Bible college is to leave that place married. I didn't know that was one of the goals until I got there and people told me that. And I was like, oh, i got to get married. I didn't know. Okay, let's try to find a husband. Didn't work out that way. But hey, I did my best. But there were moments in worship where I really wanted to worship God. The songs were good. I liked it. I was feeling it. And then I realized that my fingernails were chipped. Now here, listen to me. I am someone who feels called to be a pastor at that point in my life. I'm studying the Bible on a daily basis. I'm learning to be a pastor. And I have the thought in my head, don't raise your hands. Your nails are chipped. What if the guy who's supposed to be your husband is sitting beside you? He sees your chipped nails and goes, nope, she won't be a good wife. Her nails are chipped. Now, I would like to tell you that I'm kidding when I say that I am not kidding. I had to make a choice. I really had to make a choice. And that sounds absurd to some of you, but I'm not kidding you that it's true. Happened more than once. (laughs) You have to make a choice at some point in our life. Jesus needs our worship because our worship tells the whole world around us that he's worthy. 
Our worship tells everybody in the city, this man, this one coming in right now, he's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can change your situation. He's the only one that can fix what needs to be fixed. He's the only one that's worthy. We're not worthy. We're not good enough. Those people had done all of their Jewish important things to do. They were holy people. They had followed all the rules. But in that moment, they said, I've done it all right as best I could, and yet I'm still not worthy. He's worthy. And we're all faced with a point in our life where we get to decide, do do my chip nails and the cute guy behind me matter more? Or does Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, what matters more? We're all faced with the reality that he's worthy of worship, and we have an opportunity to acknowledge who he is and give him what he's due to worship, like these people did on this day. Like, listen, the whole city of Cleveland worshiped LeBron James. And J.R. Smith, who at that point wasn't even wearing a shirt, We won't talk about that. Poor guy. But we choose what we worship. Sometimes we're, I, we, worship guys who put a ball through a hoop more extravagantly than we do the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the only one who can see. But this morning, Palm Sunday, we get to remember that he's Hosanna. He's the one who can save. Jesus wants to ride in on our worship. And Andre and I learned a long time ago, and this may sound strange to some of you, but we learned that worship is a weapon that we use in our home. When our kids would get sick, we'd put worship music on. When things were hard for us, we'd put worship music on. When when we didn't know what to do, we would put worship music on. I went through a period in this last year, and the transition of our family, where I slept about an hour a night for about six months. I had anxiety that was crippling me. And I had panic attacks. And I'd never known what that was before in my life. And the only thing I knew how to do in those moments was worship. Because there's only one who can save. Jesus wants to ride in to whatever situation, circumstance, your home, your school. He wants to ride into your job on your worship this morning. I just wonder this morning if we're willing to give Jesus our worship because he needs it. And last this morning in verses 9 and 10. Jesus needs our yes. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. I love this part. Before that, the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. The New Living doesn't say it in that way, but that's what they're shouting out, save now. Or, You're the one who can save. They're crying out who he is. In verse 10, look at this. Verse 10. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. Not just the people who'd been following him. The people who weren't Jews. The people who were around. The people who'd never seen him do a miracle. The people who didn't know what was going on. They're in an uproar. The entire city was in an uproar as he entered. And here's what they're asking. Who is this? Verse 11. The crowds, which was the people who were traveling with Jesus in this story. They replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The last thing I see that in this passage that Jesus needs is Jesus needs our yes. Or the way I would probably say it because of the way I talk being raised in New Jersey, Jesus needs our yes. Yeah. Jesus is riding in. These people are waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna, crying out things that if people were raised in the Jewish tradition, they would know by the phrases these people were saying that this is the man we've been waiting for. These people are shouting, saying, he's the one. 
They say, son of David, only Jesus was that. No prophet, no other thing. And they're, they're crying out these things that day. He's the one, he's here, here he comes. Excuse me. And I could just imagine myself. Remember, I'm the girl who didn't raise my hands to worship because of chip fingernails. I can imagine myself in that moment. I can see myself. I can make myself imagine. If I'm there and I'm like, yeah, he's the one, Hosanna, Hosanna. But then somebody comes up to me and says, um, do you know who, what is this? What is going on? And I can feel the hesitation in my heart. Because declaring to these people around you that you know who he is, you know how important he is, you know that he's the king of kings, you know he's the one that's coming to save. Sometimes we're faced with a little bit of a pause. I recently was at a lunch with a group of people who don't um, come to church, they might not know Jesus, and I was asked, you know, what what does a service in your church look like? And you know what I found myself doing? How do I say this right? How do I say this so they don't understand? Do I explain what worship is? Do I tell them what, how many minutes of things? What do I do? What's the right answer in this moment? I'm not sure. Someone was saying, tell me about Jesus. What's going on here? And I'm like, uh. I think our yes to the question of who is this man? What's going on here? Jesus needs our yes because the person next to us, we might be the only person they ever encounter who knows Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. We might be the only person they ever come into contact with that knows him and knows about him and knows how to tell them about what he's done. And we have to have a predetermined yes in our hearts that when the crowd shouts, who is this? What is going on here? What is happening? What is this uproar? Because sometimes, you know what? When you start to give Jesus your go, and when you start to give Jesus your worship, it's going to cause a little bit of a stir in the life that you live. Sometimes your life is going to change a little bit. You're going to look a little different. You're going to start saying some different words. Your Sundays are going to suddenly be occupied with church on a period of time on Sunday mornings. The things that are your priorities might look different. Maybe, maybe you use language that you shouldn't use, and all of a sudden you stop making those kind of jokes. I don't know what your thing might look like. But when you start serving Jesus, when you've given him your go, and you've given him your worship, your yes is going to have to be ready, because people are going to say, what is going on in you? I used to know what you were like, and now you're different. And sometimes it's, a, it's like, what's your problem? Sometimes it's like, whoa, you're peaceful and you didn't used to be. Whoa, there's joy in your life that you were never like that before. What is going on in you? Do you know something I don't know? Jesus needs our yeah. Jesus needs our yeah. Jesus needs our yes. He needs us to be ready. It's one thing to go, and it's another thing to worship when it's convenient and easy in a room like this, or tomorrow night during the worship night when the whole night is for worship, and you can come in here in this safe place, and you can worship God with everything that's in you and all that you have. But it's another thing when the crowd around you starts saying, what is going on? Why don't you tell me about this? I don't understand. You look weird. Why are you acting like that? Why did you make this decision? Why can't, you know... I had I have a little brother. He's six foot five, but he's my little brother. And I remember he was he was always very very tall, and he was a very good soccer player from a very very young age. And so I don't know if it's still like this. I think it is. But like every team kind of wanted him to play on their travel team. It was kind of like craziness. And I can remember at nine years old, my brother saying, "I don't want to do that travel team anymore." It was the best one. It was one that people tried out for and paid extravagant amounts of money to get onto. And he said. 
because I think I need to go to church. I don't want to miss church. People didn't understand. People thought he was weird. His friends didn't think it made sense. The other parents were like, you're wasting your son's potential at nine years old to be a superstar soccer player. Jesus needed his, yeah. Jesus needed his, yes. Jesus needs our go. Jesus needs our worship. And Jesus needs our yes this morning. The series is as we conclude it this morning. This It's Not Mine series. Our money isn't ours. But when we give our life to Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior, our life, our go, our worship. We don't get to worship LeBron anymore. I'm so sorry to tell you that. We've got to worship Jesus now. Our yes, it all belongs to him. He needs it. He's the God of the whole universe who chooses to partner with us to change the world. I believe with everything that's inside of me that what happens in this room on Sunday morning is a part of making the city of Robbinsville what it's meant to be. I believe with everything that's in me that's what's what's going to happen tomorrow night in these worship nights is a part of changing the atmosphere over our city because there are people in this city who need to know Jesus. They need our go. They need you to come tomorrow night and worship. They need your worship. They need you to engage. And they need you to say, yeah, I know about a Jesus who can change your whole world because he changed mine. He changed everything I am and everything I know. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreescc.com.